My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 64 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Hey everyone, on this week's show we talk running technique, cadence and stretching with Rene Borg from Running Coach Ireland and we hear from the inspirational ultra powerhouse that is Joe O'Leary after his third place in the 432km, 268m winter spine race. Everybody, get your running gear on, let's go. Hey guys, hope you're all well and we have a smashing interview with Joe coming up now shortly after his epic 96 hours along the Pennine Way across the north of England. And there was some exciting racing on home soil too over the last two weeks with Jordan Richards taking the win in the Mount Hillary race and Michelle Kenny, a clear winner in the ladies section in the Munster Culture Winter Spring League. And in Wicklow last weekend, Derek Crammon took the win in the Brocker burst with another own Flynn that's out there somewhere in second place an Irish international great to see Barry Minnick back racing in third full full results are to be confirmed so apologies that I don't have the ladies result on that one but going from the photographs that I saw on the Imra Facebook page it looked like a cracking morning for racing on the hills well done also to the group of nearly 40 Imra members who helped who were helped by Angela Flynn and Simon Lynch from the Wicklow Wolf Brewery and they planted just short of 500 trees as part of their carbon offset tree planting project so fair play to everybody involved in that one. Before we call in many guys fair play also and thank you to Jonathan Hughes a club mate now of nearly 20 years in Raffarnham WSAF for becoming a patron of the show thanks a million Johnny and also to Connor Green and Stephen O'Sullivan from the Train Pack app. Hope the launch went well, Stephen. Um, all three there became Patreons since our last show. And a massive thank you, as always, to all of our Patreons who have stayed with us from the very start in 2021 and through 2022. If you haven't got a chance to get over to Patreon just yet and would like to help keep the show going well into 2023, do pop over after your run today if you get a chance, for example, while the endorphins are still high pop over and look up trail running ireland podcast on patreon where for three euros a month you can help keep us going for hopefully another 60 odd episodes at the least right in the meantime time for some coaching tips from one of the very best that's out there Rennie Borg from Running Coach Ireland. Rennie, great to have you back. The, the year is moving along nicely. We've got lots of races coming up on the Imre calendar and um, it's exciting times to be a runner. Yeah, it feels a bit like spring now here for the yeah. first time. That's, and that's what you see. If you go online, everyone seems to be having the same. Uh, you know, we can see the green shoots in the air and we've had a few good sunny days as well. So yeah, uh, yeah long way last. And the Imre calendar, of course, in Leinster is beginning on Sunday after this recording so by the time people listen it's probably in the past uh so i think i i would imagine that'd be quite a lot of excitement um because the winter league tended to start 
a good bit earlier. You know, it's moved to a February start this year. So the only races that have been here locally have been down in Monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lovely mix of races on the Emmerich calendar, Randy, isn't there? I mean, we've got this weekend, as you said, the Brock of Burst. Then we've got Glenna Ginty Half Marathon then in Kerry, the Holt Winter League, Mallow AC Trail, Torquewood and Kerry, um, Anakura. Um, I'd encourage anybody that is looking for a race to do on the trails on the mountains just to go, to go on to Imre.ie. And they have a wonderful calendar system there on their website. And you can see the whole year and there is plenty of options to keep you going. And we've got plenty to discuss, Rene, today. We've got a nice, interesting mixed bag of of questions that you find athletes regularly ask over the course of the year. Um, And we might kick off maybe with the first one, which is running technique. And I know it's something I've often thought about. I get asked it myself. And the question is, is always... Oh, should I try and change my running technique? And, you know, over the years, depending on the fashion, that answer kind of changes. And I'm always a bit reluctant to, to get people to change their running technique, Randy, because I think we've been running a certain way since we were, you know, a toddler, since a small child. And um, unless there's a major problem, should we be changing our running technique or even trying to change it? What do you think? Well, the argument generally has been that that the risk is whenever you change anything, that you get worse for a while. So that's the argument against, uh, for instance, your golf swing, right? That's often the example that's given, that if you start fiddling with your golf swing, often you then play worse for a while. Um, But then once it becomes automatic again, you could reach a higher level. So that's the main argument for, is to say, if you could just go through that period of being worse, which is, you know, depending on the learning model that you that you read up on, it could be called, uh, the teachers listening will know this, it might be called, you know, conscious incompetence. So it means that you're aware that you're not doing things very right, but things are very mechanical. They're not fluent. They're not efficient. And it takes a while before you become unconsciously competent again. That means that whatever skill it is you're trying to do, whether it's throwing a ball or running or swinging the club, it you know, you don't think about it. It all happens at what's called the subcortical level uh, where it's automatic. The problem is that running is a little bit different than a golf swing. So the counter argument is when you mess with things that are ingrained natural movement patterns that develop, you know, really from the, the womb, you know, it's not that you run obviously right out of the moment you, you land on the, on the table, but the, the basic skill of running, that movement seems to be hardwired. So it's already in there and it is only waiting for the evolving organism as in the baby to acquire the, the physical abilities to actually do it. Whereas a golf swing is not, it would never develop unless someone else shows it to you. Mm. So, so there seems to be a difference between a natural ability and these kind of modern skills of which there are an infinite amount. And we, so over time, my understanding of this topic has changed a bit as well. Um, and the this one of the things we have to understand is that how a person looks when they run is what's called an emergent property. And what that means is it is an effect of the state of the body. So if someone is running and you you look at them and you see, oh, the posture is awful. Uh, you know, they're all hunched over and God, their stride looks so slow and and loppy you know they're kind of 
it just they do look heavy and you can hear when they hit the ground that it's it's it's, it's even sounds painful it's obvious that if you could change that it would be a good thing so the question isn't really should we change that? Like if the person wants to, if they don't have any problems, they don't want to change, you know, why would you force them? You wouldn't, of course. But if they had some injuries or if they were interested genuinely in getting a higher ceiling for performance, you would have to sit down and say, well, why are you running that way? And I think where where it often goes wrong is when you try to consciously teach someone to mimic the running technique of someone who has a system that is nearly perfect in every way. You know, let's try and imagine it's someone who's uh, run and been active for their whole life and they're naturally athletic and they're relaxed when they move. They've got a good movement intelligence. They're very strong in all the right places. They're mobile in all the right places. So obviously a person like that, when they run, it looks wonderful. Mm-hmm. And they may not even think about it. A lot of these people that look the best, they don't necessarily know what they're doing. Their coaches might, but they don't. They just do it. So the trap can be, it would be desirable to look more like, let's say, Kipchoge or anyone like that, but you have to figure out what is the safe way to do it without making myself worse. And one of the questions that often comes up in that relation is, for instance, cadence. You know, how many steps should I be taking? Because I can see that a lot of these top runners at most of their paces, that they are very elastic. So they run with quite a high stride rate so that they don't spend as much time on the ground. They spend more time in the air and they make the, the interaction with the ground more of a more bouncy, you know, and there's more, what would you call it? There's more elastic recoil. So obviously when you see that as a runner, you think I want a piece of that. Yeah. You know, and then you go online and you look at what studies show about increasing the cadence and they will show quite nice things such as, you know, straight away, the moment you do it, you would go out right now and take more steps. There is less loading at your knee and in your hip for instance there's less backward forces so it it sounds like it's a no-brainer you know if i want to change something like that i just go do it but it's not quite so simple and isn't there a magic number that we've often heard many of 180 steps per minute and i've seen athletes over the years when they're starting off maybe in the sport that they have that number in their head and they become a little bit obsessed with it and, you know, they get back home and they download their training file and they look to see if they had 180, you know, and they'll be disappointed or frustrated if they're not, if they're down to, say, 160 or whatever it might be. But but I think with that 180 number, you have to be very aware that you, your, your cadence is going to change as your training session or as your race progresses. So in your warm-up, you know, you're not going to be as quick or as light on your feet. So for those 10 or 15 minutes, you might be down at 150, 160. Likewise, at the end of a race, as you're sprinting home, you might be at 200 per, per, per minute. So it's just, it's just not to become fixated on that 180 number, that it does, I think, it does naturally change over the course of any run. Yeah, it's a good example of this idea that if you really want the optimal types of behaviors from your body to manifest when you do a particular activity, then you actually need to look at what is it that facilitates that. So the question here would be, what facilitates a person being able to run with a high cadence? And there's a few things we could go through very quickly. One is if you have very elastic lower legs, right? So that means if you have strong, uninjured uh, muscles that 
are good at firing around the joint with the right timing, you know, which is something you would train in many ways. But for instance, plyometrics is an example. If you're not ready to, for plyometrics because you know they are painful for you uh, or you can't do them properly, then you need to take a few steps back, right? And you might just need to do some isometric training to learn how to contract the muscles around these joints correctly, you know, so you can create enough tension that you're actually elastic when you hit the ground. You can also do drills that help your nervous system get used to the idea of taking a lot of steps, you know, and, and to yeah. gain a consciousness of what is 180 beats per minute, you know, it's three strides per second. Uh, you might know what that is, you know, so of course you could do a drill where you put on a metronome or something, a music song with that many beats, and you could do the drill and say, oh, that's what that feels like. Let, let's try and see what does 190 feel like. So that way you are, you're both working on the physical state of your body, you know, to make it more likely to create a high cadence and you're building more intelligence in your mind to recognize these behaviors yeah. what often happened on the other side on is if people don't do that if they if all they do is jump straight in and just focus on the cadence not only as you say can it really take the enjoyment out of the run but it can also mean you're not flexible enough because you're not actually adjusting to the surface conditions and the pace you're just sticking to the, to your solution and if you have, for instance, very, uh, if you're not elastic in your lower legs, or let's say you have very impaired mobility in your hips uh, or other movement problems, you might start taking kind of an artificially shortened stride in order to have a high cadence, and then you actually get slower. Yeah. Uh, but I think the, the good news for the listeners, Renny, is that a lot of our listeners, they spend a lot of time on the trails and in the mountains, and no better gym for a runner than the hills so we can actually develop a lot of the strength required a lot of the plyometric strength required that would enable us to have good running technique that will help us have good cadence by doing our hill work and by developing the power on the hills that will give us that el elasticity and strength for good stride good running technique on the flat yeah, it's something you and I looked at it we looked at a guy who had analyzed how your basically how this stride tool which is a foot pod had recorded the differences in what was going on with his lower legs when he was running uphill and downhill at different speeds yeah you know and it was quite interesting because the difference is quite enormous you know and but as you would expect the summary is quite simple you know if you run uphill your contact time with the ground tends to increase and the weaker you are the more that's the case so that means if you are very weak you need to be careful over doing the uphill because it might actually create, you know, too much of a bad habit of having a very, of basically not being able to get off the ground properly. Whereas running downhill is a natural way to very quickly try and gain the ability to take more steps. But you need to be mindful that if you're not strong enough to take that impact, it, it's a bit like getting someone to help you lift a weight and then they just remove their hands suddenly, right? So you, you, you might be exposed to more force than your body is actually ready to handle. Yeah. So you, that, And that's why if we look back at, say, Arthur Lydia, for instance, his, his hill training happened in the middle. Um, whereas now, usually hills are introduced a little bit earlier. But one of the reasons I think he introduced it there was they did hills slower anyway, you know, in Auckland. So it's not like they did nothing up and down until then. But he realized that once you start running uphill and downhill fast, 
uh, it is quite demanding on the muscular system and the tendon system. So you, you can't have someone who is totally physically unprepared, you know, go do that as a trick. Yeah. And I think did Neoni maybe do his hill development um, period of a training block for about three or four weeks? Because after that, too much tiredness and fatigue can set in and you probably get the, the benefit from it over a three or four week period. And just on the running technique, when I, what I found that works over the years with my own running technique is I'll often look back at photographs from maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, races that I ran in. And just to make sure that there's not too much of a change in my own form and running technique from when I was a young whippersnapper in my mid-20s running track races to now my early 40s, that there's not too much of a disimprovement there. So a little idea maybe there for the listeners just to go back and have a look through their social media accounts, have a look through race photographs, even when they're going out for runs. You know, have a little glance in a shop window and see your reflection as you're running by and just to make sure that you're not slouched over, as you said, and that your running technique is good. And I think you wanted to mention something about looking at the at at the running technique of somebody in a single frame. Yeah. And just to finish off what you're saying there, if you don't have a window, if you're out here in the hills, you can look at your shadow if you're lucky. I do that a lot. You know, the shadow gives you quite a good picture. Uh, but sure. but yeah, I see one of the things I see so much, and I obviously have done it myself as well over the years, you look at a picture of someone um, and you look, wow, that looks great. Or you, you look at it and you're like, ooh, that's going to that's gonna hurt that one. But forgetting that it's one frame of, you know, you can obviously any, if you film a piece of, of movement, you can cut it into as many frames as you want, right? You can have 60 frames per second. You could have a thousand frames per second. The more frames you cut a movement into, if you film it, uh, the more details you can capture, right? So I've done analysis over the years where if we film someone at 30 frames per second rather than 60, we missed key frames that where, we could, where the damage was actually done mm. because it was the frame that was being cut out by the tool. And there are certain things, this is something I learned much later, there are certain particulars that are actually quite important that if you want to be really serious about video analysis, you need hundreds of frames. 60 frames won't cut it. So that's just something to know. And what does that mean for pictures? Well, it means quite often when you catch someone on a picture, when they have actually reached what's called mid-stance. So that's when your foot is fully flat on the ground and your body is hopefully is resting right on top of it. You can see a lot of things from a picture like that. So don't get me wrong. It's not useless. You can see if the person, for instance, is slouching, as you say. So if if in that position, they have a big old curve in their upper back because they've been hunched over the laptop for eight hours, that is obviously a problem. And you can see right away, that's not what we want to see. You know, we want to see a more chest extension, a nice open chest, you know, and the head not being forward like you are trying to, like you can't read what's in front of you. You know, it needs to be, more or less stack. Can you see that there's good core control? Is there a nice, you know, in, in other f- uh, videos, you might see, is there a nice opening of the hips without all sorts of chaos happening in the central area, you know, in the core? So you can see all of that from pictures. Yeah. But you but if you look from the side, you obviously can't see what's happening in from the back, which is equally important. So someone might look very good from the side, but if you looked at the back, you'd find some problems. But the issue is there is a limitation. Sometimes you see a person where they look 
really good in mid starts. But if you took a few frames back, you would see that the, the first point where they actually loaded their foot on the ground, there was a lot of issues. So it's just important for people to know that whenever you judge anything bad or good from a picture, you are missing quite a lot of information. So you shouldn't rely on it. You can see some things, as I mentioned, but not everything. And um, the, the conversation reminds me, Rene, of the, the great marathon runner, Heidi Gabriel Selassie, who if you looked at a photograph um, of him, you, you'd wonder what's going on there. The way he used to run with his, was it his right arm extended out like a wing um, because he used to run holding a school satchel when he was uh, in his teenage years going to school and back. And he continued to run that way as an adult. And, and you know, it didn't affect his running um, at all. Um, the, the, the next topic, Renny, you wanted to talk about today, and today's nice, interesting mailbag Q&A was stretching. And isn't this, it's a fascinating topic. Um, again, over the years, you see different expert analysis, this, different results. Um, what's the latest you've seen, Renny, on it in terms of should we stretch before, after, static? Should we be a bit more mobile with our stretching? What do you think? So this is a discussion I had with a club camp uh, comrade called Marcus. So if Marcus is listening, he's, uh, we can credit him with making me think we need to just revisit this again a little bit because um, it was a discussion around, but there isn't enough mobility in my one ankle compared to the other one. So what are my options if not to try and restore the, the same range in the other one? Right? And it, it's kind of logical. you know, If there is less movement in one, part of the body, it would make sense to seek the same in the other one. Mm. But but we know there are lots of problems if the way you say, okay, I have a stiff ankle, so now I'm going to pull at it by what's called passive stretching, right? So passive stretching, for instance, for an ankle would mean, you know, any of these stretches people know, like putting your foot up against the wall and, and moving your knee forward to really open that up. But there's many problems with that approach, and you can find any number of studies online. I don't really bore people with it that'll show this. The problem is that, first of all, when you pull at a muscle that's already tight, the what's called the stretch reflex, that's a reflex your body has to make sure that a joint doesn't get overstretched, you know, to make sure you don't stretch a joint so much that you damage the tissue attached to it. So this stretch reflex, it has a tolerance. And once you get over that tolerance, it says no. And it actually makes the muscle tighten up to try and move you away from that position so most passive stretching is actually fighting that reflex sometimes it's also making it more passive which can be a it can be a bad thing it isn't always but it can be a bad thing because there is usually a reason why the stretch reflex is set at the level it is so trying to override it could be actually making the problem you have worse so well, I'll give you a great example, Renny. I was doing 10 by 400, I think, at the start of December. And for the first time in my life, um, I stretched um, in the middle of doing the reps because my hamstring was a bit tight from playing football with my son. So I stretched out my hamstring. And likewise, for the first time in my life, my hamstring popped on, on one of the reps and I had to stop straight away. And I have no doubt that the reason why it popped and I was forced to stop was because I stretched it um, after maybe the, the fifth rep or something like that. So that's, a, I think, a perfect example of what you're saying, that if you if you try and stretch something, no, the body's going to shut it down. 
Yeah, stretching can actually be very similar to the stressor that causes a lot of injuries, you know, especially like Achilles, ankle sprains, hamstring pulls, these types where it is, there's, there's too large a range of motion for the muscle in that moment and the tissue tears. And that means then if it, often we might be tempted because now that area is very tight once it heals. Now we want to stretch it again, but the body can actually respond very negatively to that because it's like, oh, this is what injured me in the first place. Mm-hmm. So the thing is with the body, we tend to sometimes forget that a lot of responses are there for a reason. So, and if we can just figure out what's the reason, we can actually address it at the root because stretching has the problem that it it can sometimes make you feel better, but it's a little bit like taking a headache pill. You know, it may not actually solve what caused the headache, but it might make you feel better for an hour or two and a little bit more functional, but then you have to pay the price maybe later on. So it's usually better to say, okay, why is my body tight around the hip? Why would it set the tension that high? Because there's something in the body called the gamma loop. So the gamma loop is a feedback loop that regulates all the muscle tension in your system. Traditionally, whenever we get from being passive to active, we do something called pandiculation. I said, that's a, we discussed this before. I think you hadn't heard of it before, Owen. No. It's it's the type of stretch, I use that now in hyphen, that you see cats do and that you see babies do. Right? So when and it's what when you yawn in the morning and stretch out your arms while contracting your back, that is a form of pandiculation. So a pandiculation is if you kind of had to reduce it to roughly what type of movement is it? It's a way to reset the tension and, and prepare the sensory motor system for action by lengthening a muscle against a resistance but that resistance can be very limited you know it could be just me putting a very gentle hand against one of your limbs and then asking you to lengthen that muscle against that gentle pressure you know or you could use a resistance band or you can do you know so when you stretch in the morning i'm actually using i am contracting my muscles and then stretching them at the same time There's a few reasons that's safer. If you are looking for something really simple, there are other ways to to fix this as well. But basically for a muscle, for a joint to release the movement that is there. So let's take this ankle we have in this example. My theory would be that this ankle is tight because there's not as much stability on that side of the body or, and this could be both, there's been some injuries, and actually he confirmed that with me later, you know, that there's been injuries on this side, which means the body is probably trying to protect and limit threatening range of motion on that joint. Yeah. So that's what the nervous system is trying to do. So it's a little bit similar with trigger points. You know, a lot of people have heard of Jason discuss trigger points, you know, very, very sore spots in the muscles. A lot of people think that they are a mistake. But they're not. They they are like a chemical cast that the nervous system puts into muscles so that it can restrict the movement of a joint without having to contract the muscle 24-7 because that would cost too much energy, right? Because whenever you contract your muscle, you have to spend ATP. Mm -hmm. So this is just one of many examples because I I started noticing that this theory of trigger points was probably true when I would aggressively release trigger points only in one muscle And then I'd go run that day or the next day and I would feel worse. I would have less tension in my muscles and it would be more painful to hit the ground. Mm. So at that stage, I thought, well, those, they have to be there for a reason. It's clearly because the, it's already too lax, the muscle to control 
the movement around the ankle. So if I really want these trigger points in my lower leg to go away, I need to figure out why is there so much instability around my ankles? And I need to, you know, in my case, it was a mixture of many things, but let's say that you find it's actually just the muscles around the ankle. You know, it's there's something wrong in the way those muscles are uh, firing together. And I need to change that. You cannot change that by stretching, but you could change it with pendiculation or you could train it with isometric exercises and building that up to, you know, concentric, eccentric, uh, and plyometric. But it's simply, you have to retrain through slow, voluntary movements of that joint. And then slowly you bring it from there into the explosive sports movements. Yeah. So the days of standing around the track or standing around the start line of a race, Rene, and static stretching, I think we can safely say that those days are gone and rightly so. I remember I read one analogy of it that if you imagine your muscle as an iron bar, if you try and flex an iron bar or bend it when it's cold, you'll snap it in two. And muscles are very similar. You, you need to warm them up before you try anything at all. Um, and I know what works very well for me, Rennie, is that before most of my runs, to be honest, um, I, I would do some light Pilates exercises. I would do some light um, plyometrics as well, forward lunges, back lunges, without going through a full matrix of a strength and conditioning type session. Literally just 10, 15 minutes of some bouncing, some moving, some um, forward steps, back steps. And that just warms everything up nicely and you're good to go then. And then likewise, sometimes I might do the same when I come home just to help the body cool down. And then if you do that over the course of the, of the week, you've got maybe about 60 or 70 minutes of Pilates and SNC work done and it all adds up. Yeah, I spoke to a yoga teacher over the weekend and she says the joke is we're talking about how specific things like yoga and Pilates are for running and how you have to be very selective in the exercises you pick, because if you yeah. take these things too far, or if you pick too much of the wrong ones, you'll actually make yourself worse, not better. Uh, but she says that she, she, she agreed with me, but she says that the joke in the in their community is that you tell all men to do yoga and all the women to do Pilates. <laughs> and you probably know why, you know, it's because obviously Pilates is more focused around creating more tension and yeah. more control, which most most men tend to be more in that direction already. Yeah. And then whereas yoga, while it has balancing drills and things like that as well, it is slightly more around, you know, gaining more mobility. So so it tends to be the two genders kind of need yeah. They, yeah, yeah. they need they need the other. But of course you could, unless you really love those disciplines and they are the easiest thing for you. You know, if you have a tool that's handy, you know it, you like it, it's always kind of good to start with that. But if you are interested in branching out, you are probably better off looking specifically for exercises that that are very close to mimicking gait pattern, as we've talked about many times, because then you don't have that risk of um, of carrying over some negatives. This is another heated debate I had this morning with a friend who was around cycling, you know, because obviously there's many people who get a lot out of, of cycling for running, uh, you know, and especially in terms of strength. And we know it it, it can add to the cardiovascular fitness, especially if there's a limit to how much you can take in terms of running. But at the same time, there's a great many of the world's best runners who've never seen a bike. So we can't see it, say it's essential. So cycling and many other things, it's, it's a case-by-case -case basis you need to assess people on. Because if if a person is set up in a way physically and in terms of their habits that they can do some cycling, 
and all they see is a positive effect. You know, I'm, I'm not going to tell them anything else. And I don't think anyone else should either. But if someone walks in, let's say, refer to me by Jason, and he tells me this person has extremely low mobility around their hip, they really struggle with keeping a proper upright posture when they land on one leg. And they say, well, I have X amount of time to spend trying to make myself a better runner. Then the first thing I'm not, I'm not going to tell them to go on a bike because they're going to be sitting again in a hip limited, a hip flexion position, uh, slightly hunched over, and they won't be doing an elastic impact exercise. You know, so I would say, well, don't spend those hours on the bike. Let's try do a hip circuit instead, you know, or something like that. Yeah. And I know what I've done over the years for running technique, Renny, as well, is I've looked at the great runners um, that, you know, you see on TV. Um, I remember when I was growing up looking at Eamon Coughlin, Sebastian Coe, et cetera. And even only a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at the, the national cross country and I was so impressed with the running technique of the lads up top, like Dara McElhenney, for example, was incredibly efficient with his stride. And I just try and take a mental note of how they're running. And, you know, when I'm doing my strides two or three times a week, I'll try and pretend that I'm running like them and, just to try and reset um, that running technique and, and to try and, and mimic your, your heroes. And sometimes you, you never know that that might work. And um, will we call it a day for that? A lovely mixed bag there, that one there. Um, good luck if you're running Brock at the weekend. And uh, yeah, here's to a great 2023 for everybody. Um, bring on the races. For sure, Owen. And if anyone thought this was too much of a grab bag, you know, that we only skimmed the surface, but, you know, we've whetted the appetite for more on a particular subject. Why don't you know, drop us a comment? Because I think we'd, we'd be quite happy to take a deep dive on one of these topics, you know, in one of the 2023 podcasts. Yeah, super, Rene. Okay. Well, listen, if anybody wants to get in touch with Rene, they can get him on runningcoach.ie on Facebook and Instagram as well. Rene, thanks a million. Have a good weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Yes, talk to your own. Take care. Time now for our special interview this week and what an epic, epic run Joe O'Leary had in the Montaigne Winter Spine Race in the north of England around two weeks ago now. The 268 miler Winter Ultra Marathon encompasses the entire length of the Pennine Way, finishing on the Scottish borders and Joe hunted down that podium position and the British runner Douglas Innes, who had roughly a five mile lead over Joe going into the final stages and let's hear how Joe reeled him in Joe it's a real privilege to have you back on the show thanks a million for coming on Joe and I hope hopefully you recovered okay since um, that tremendous tremendous result about what is it about two weeks ago now yeah two weeks ago this morning yeah pleasure to be on on again thanks yeah, well, listen, we've got a fascinating race to talk about, Joe, and I'm so interested just to hear about the build up to it, the race itself, how the recovery went. And I suppose if we if we kick off this time last year, when you were speaking to Simon, your, your friend Simon Kelly from the Waterfall Trail Running Festival, who did the interview for us last year. I remember at the end of that interview, you said to Simon that when he said, to you, oh, would you like to do the full race? And you said something like that could be a career-ending run just because it's so hard, so severe, the, oh, the dedication yeah. and the training that's needed for it. So 
can you remember the moment when you decided actually the hell with it i'm gonna try the full the full race next year i can actually yeah i think i had a hangover at the time i must have been not thinking straight but uh yeah you know last year annoyed me because uh, i just wasn't used to hitting a wall like that and you know like i enjoy hardship conditions so it really annoyed me that I had negative uh, memories from it in one respect. I mean, obviously it was good results and everything, but um, I know, but like, it's like doing the 5K and a, and, a, and a marathon thing. Like I had to do the full one. I just had to, there's no yeah. point. Uh, there's no point getting podium on the small little thing. The fun yeah. as well say, yeah. But I, I remember that conversation and I remember you were saying how because it was just so hard, the, the shorter distance and because you felt like you were just moving so slowly that it was really annoying so <laughs> this one here from two weeks ago it's an even longer race so therefore you'd have to manage your pace even a lot more so you, you must have uh, yeah. managed to get over that maybe hump that you had about the, the shorter race and and just how frustratingly slow you could move through it to, to yeah, get up uh, for well. I solved one. that by going faster for the first hundred miles. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, uh, accidentally. Uh, yeah, I was like, just at least at least half an hour up on last year's hundred mile time, and um, oh, yeah, don't ask me how, but um, yeah, definitely. Like, I suppose what I did is I trained for I suppose last four months with a lot of weight. Um, relatively a lot of weight, you know, between four building up to eight kg while running and then uh, 10 kg while walking. Um, so, like, it is very hard to train slowly, but if you add in enough weight, you've no option but to go slow. And I think I just got used to that. I got used to carrying the weight and I got used to going slow. So, on the day of the race, then I just kept that pace that I knew I could carry on for ages. It was like, you know, I can't. I thought I was going too fast, which turned out I was, but yeah. I couldn't go any slower if, it, you know, but, and I was happy with my pace. I was really, really comfortable with my pace, but I was a bit annoyed. Once I found out Ian Keith was behind, I kept saying to Mark, who I was um, running with at the time, Mark Potts, that no, we're, we're going too fast, man. We're going too fast. He was, he was getting sick of me saying that. Yeah. Um, but like, I was convinced it was going too fast, but on the other hand, I couldn't slow down. I was just, it was just perfect pace. Mark was running my perfect pace as well. And as I think it look, we'll just, we'll just see what happens and go with it. But definitely when we got into Hebden Bridge, which is the, no, not Hebden, um, Hawes, which is the 108 mile finish, like there's half an hour up and I'd probably stopped more as well. Um, I know the conditions were a small bit better, but not a whole pile. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's basically what, what I did there. Um, you, you mentioned that you, you started training for it with the weight specifically 16 weeks out. And that's one of the questions I was going to ask you, Joe, that did you treat the build up to it like, say, a lot of people would treat their, their Dublin marathon build up? You know, four months out, they really focus in on it. Or, you know, back last January, when you had to maybe sign up for this year's race, did you consider it a 12-month plan or did you say, okay, I'm signed up, I've got my race number, I'm going to park that now until next um, October, for example? Or, or were you very conscious of preparing for the full spine over the last 12 months? 
Oh, both, definitely. Uh, yes, as soon as I signed up, so it would be in the start of February, I think, but this time, yeah, I, I remember posting on something, right? Uh, spine, spine training starts here, and I was getting fierce abuse just a bit early, isn't it? But no, it's yeah. not like, I mean, um, you had to keep it in mind always. I mean, you're not, I didn't feel, like, for instance, I wasn't going to do it carry away, full carry away because of the possible recovery uh, implications. You know, I yeah. mean, basically September could have been shagged. Um, and I wanted to get out training as soon as possible again. That's why I did 100K. And as it turned out, I probably picked up a slight injury in that. I carried in a slight injury and then it kind of picked up um, another one during it. So it wasn't ideal after it. But yeah, um, so... So when I start in January or February, like the big thing then was, okay, just tip away, do my usual stuff. And I had a big race in Africa doing in the adventure race with um, Dingle Adventure Racing Team. Okay. Uh, so everything was focused on that, really. Uh, nice bit of cycling, um, more running than hiking, really, but... That was the focus, and that would be instrumental in the spine as well for sleep strategy because we'd be out for five and a half days. Yeah. So that was very important, and it was important then to recover after that, which was which went well. Um, I think it was was it two three weeks later I did Waterville, and um, with very little running done, but great fitness and high altitude training done. So I actually did quicker there. I was very happy with that race and another short race I did soon after it was was pretty good and um, but no I had nothing big planned um, no no just to carry away because it was local just the 100k one I was half embarrassed doing that I said look I even have a good reason I'm doing the spine so yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it just shows, doesn't it, the merit of having that big A race. And if it's out, if it's 12 months down the line, it's just having the, the discipline and the patience to sacrifice some of the smaller races um, that you might normally do and bring your racing calendar down from maybe 10 or 12 races a year to just three or four and really fine tune that approach. Um, did, did you have any particular metrics, Joe, over the course of the year um, that you used to to measure that improvement in fitness? Because you mentioned a couple of times there, I knew I was getting fitter, I knew I was getting better. Like, uh, were you looking at your average pace and your heart rate or was it just in the couple of races you did and in the long training sessions you were doing, you just knew yourself that you were getting more efficient you were getting quicker on your feet you could last longer no 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 metrics really it's just that i felt great after africa well give it two weeks to recover a bit uh, i felt great i i felt fit and and you know when i did go up into the mountains i was like this is really easy but that didn't last long i mean but uh, <laughs> that lasted about three weeks or a month and then then i just felt crap again or, or just normal from plenty of training so no really i didn't um i did feel that i had more endurance but definitely okay. the speed was down i was like i was kind of annoyed all year um the speed was down as i'm sacrificing the little bit of speed that i do have for endurance um because like i'm not really fast so no um no, I was losing my speed. I did know that I was I was gaining endurance, all right, and I was getting slower. But like the spine is a slower race, so I think uh, it ended up pretty well. 
Okay, cool. Yeah. And for anybody that say is thinking of doing it next year or something similar, like, do, do you think you need to be out there, Joe, like actually out there for two days on your own, even three days on your own, living no. those spine race day experiences? Or can you well, just say that for the actual event itself? Yeah, well, you see, I had that done, I suppose, with with UTMB and uh, yeah. Way and that overnight stuff. But uh, and I had the adventure races done, so I knew I could do that. Now, if you had none of that stuff done, yes, definitely, definitely okay. go out and just go hiking. Uh, just go in and hike overnight in the mountains and maybe bivy or something. Just stay out and, okay. and see what you're like for sleep. But but for me, no, I had all that done and like Jesus, the training's hard enough. Besides more hardship and misery. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> um, well, well, tell me, like over the course of the year all those miles all that tough training like you know are you enjoying it as the months are going by and you're getting closer and closer to the january or are you thinking oh jesus christ uh, this is going to be tough as hell <laughs> but, uh, but. <laughs> yeah oh, yeah. Answer that one. yeah so i love going out training but then like you're going long run sunday or something which is like basically never anything over five hours it's like after three hours ago, how in the fucking hell am I going to do four or five days of this when my feet are hanging off me, my back yeah. is sore, that bag is hopping off my back, and that's not a hope. So you'd be kind of annoyed then, but uh, that feeling goes, and you, know, look, you just carry on, and you, you tape your back the next time or something, or try different shoes. Yeah, um, but, but yeah, definitely, and definitely the month coming up. This God, this training every end. I mean, if the race is on tomorrow, I'd do it straight away. I'd let just sure. just come on. Like the the thought of it is like perhaps the thought of going to the dentist. You're, you're dreading it, and you're putting it off, and you oh, what, will I will I just cancel that? And mm-hmm. then you go in, and there's a small little scratch, and everything's fine, you know. So basically. Yeah. <laughs> but well, listen, tell us about the race. We've got through the training. You're in great shape. Sounds like you're in the, the shape of your life, Joe, just before you, you're going, you're getting to the start line. Um, did, did you have a pacing plan? Did you have some targets, some scalps that you wanted to get? Um, you you oh, mentioned yeah. Ian, our, our good friend Ian yeah. there, a couple yeah. of moments back. And in case the listeners don't know, I think Ian has won the race, I think, twice, Joe. Isn't that right? Twice and the summer spine once. Yeah, that that he was my pacing plan. Uh, basically, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say to you. Was Ian the, the key target to get? Yeah, that was the plan. Uh, if I could see Ian Keith, I'm going too fast. It's a bit like Tom Blackburn here in the mountain races. Like, if you could see Tom, I'd slow down. Um, yeah. So that was it. And just basically do my own race and leave everyone off, which was very hard okay. to do. I felt like a proper idiot uh, walking inside in the field or the second or third field, you know. Um, and they all gone, like they were going out of sight. I said, fuck, jeez, like this is this is embarrassing. But, uh, and then I was thinking, Keith, or uh, Ian, the, the little rascal, he told me he was going to start off slow and there he is, gone off into the <laughs> into the clouds. But it was only after I found out he's behind. So that would have freaked me out if I'd known that first. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that, no, I was just going to, do my own race and uh, lots of people advise me to do that as well but I was going to do that and just tip away and like there's no point being up the front at the start just be up the, up the front at the end 
Yeah, I mean, and we see it all the time, even say over in Chamonix and UTMB, there's always a big, massive rush at the, oh, at the front yeah. end of the field. And for example, say even, I don't know, after the first couple of hours, how many people, Joe, were ahead of you? Um, I have no idea. I, 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 maybe, I don't are, know. Are we talking five? 15. Are we talking 10? 15? Oh, no, that's 15, I'd say. 15. Roughly. Like there was a, yeah. I, I last count. I remember counting when I could see them. I was like, 15 16 17 and then a couple of more it passed and uh, in the next three four hours so yeah i mean between 15 20 definitely and and, and i don't remember be... passing many back so i know how to do it yeah it's all just dropping out aren't they and i mean yeah it's like utmb it's like i didn't pass that many people <laughs> got the yeah. or something and are you like are you aware of those numbers dropping out and moving up the ranking no, no. no. Because I was going to say that somebody giving you a sign where you are in the race, is somebody sending you no. a message, oh, you, you've gone to 10th, you've gone to 8th? No, so, well, to see, I kind of disabled all the notifications on the phone. I didn't want to be listening to crap. So wow. okay. uh, yeah. it was about Hebden Bridge, I think. Someone said something that, oh, God, I don't know, that we were doing well anyway. And, and Kim was out and uh, Eugenie was out. Okay, yeah, and Ian was behind. Um, okay, going too fast. Um, so yeah, kind of like, oh, could actually get a top 10 here, which was you know, finishing was my first goal, but top 10 was definitely uh, be a bonus. That was definitely in the in the back of the mind. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, just just keep it going handy now. I was there with Mark, Mark, had, I think it was his fourth time doing it. So, and I was going into the night on a bit I didn't know at all. So, um, I was happy to have him there, and uh, you know, we we're good at pacing each other, so I didn't really care at the time. Like, top 10 was the goal, and I was there, so only me could fake it up, really. And only everyone else faking up could make me go uh, any better, you know. Yeah, and th- did you find yourself asking people, Oh, where am I? I, I, no. Am I near third? No, no, never. You still no. had the discipline to not ask the question. I was, even. I had no interest wow. at all, honest God. It was, um, <laughs> no. Wow. And even, you know, even when um, Mark stopped, well, he didn't stop, but he, he wanted to get an extra bit of sleep or something. He said, Yeah, go, go, go after Dougie. I was like, Fuck off, you just like, <laughs> I'm yeah, not yeah. after him. I think. I don't know where I had maybe Mark Sitters, but it's like four or five hours ahead. I actually didn't look at any of that, but I know he was a, a good bit ahead. And it's, that's not going to happen. Like, so uh, no, I didn't. I just did my own thing. Like I, every time I went out, um, I felt like a new man. You had to stop for the half hour, an hour. And every time I went out again, you're like, I mean, training around here on a Sunday or Saturday. I mean, you stop and talk to someone and you get going again. You go, oh, God, my feet or oh, my legs. But this yeah. didn't, it didn't happen in that. It was like it was like someone else's body. I was getting a new body each time. And so I didn't care. I said, once this feeling stays then and I'm enjoying it, which I was, then whatever happens, happens. Whether it's third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh or twelfth, you know, it doesn't matter. Wow, what a great place to be. Because again, just listening back to your conversation there just this afternoon with Simon last year, you spoke how in, in all of the breaks last year in the shorter course, you were sitting down going, oh, get me out of here. Um, and yeah. doctor, give me a sick note to get me off the course. Yeah. 
and so, and this is the opposite on the on the big course and the massive one. Opposite, um, yeah. And I'd fallen as well and hurt the other leg. So I hurt um, the left leg last year, and I hurt the right one this year. Just just kind of further up on the IT band, which is quite sore gone downhill. Um, but that was good because it kept me awake a bit, and then. I knew then because the left leg was fine. I, so I was, I was saying, oh, my legs are sore. Oh, no, actually, it's only one leg is sore. So apart from that bruise, um, I'm actually fine. But yeah. Um, so, so even with that, yeah, it was, it was a totally different mindset. Yeah. And um, I 96.5% enjoyed it. Wow. And I think if I'm getting my stats right, so I'm just to pull into context for the listeners and what what it just goes to show the improvements that somebody can make over 12 months last year's third place and it, it was it was a horrendous run i remember you telling us about was 30 hours yeah um, where this one here was it just over was it over 90 hours i think 96 96.50 50. 96.50 and total kilometers 400 high up in the 400s so we're yeah. talking you know more than three times the distance um time wise anyway but you're feeling 10 times better oh god yeah definitely uh i could like the one thing that's frightening about going to the spine is like i know what 100 miles feels like i know what finishing the utmb feels like after 31 hours and stuff and like uh but multiply that by two and a half or three uh, i couldn't yeah. like I mean, you can't do that. Um, and then at, at times it'd be like it'd be dawn on here. here what's his name? Hairdrin's wall. And we got, hold on a minute. I'm 200 and whatever, 220 miles into a race. I have another day to go. And I'm feeling fucking fine. Like, and this is, this is, uh, this freaky. Yeah. Um, well, well, tell us about. For for many, the most exciting part of the race. And I remember I was actually recording just the last show and I was looking at the at the standings and you were five miles behind Douglas Sinis. I think it was maybe around one o'clock in the day when I saw that. Oh, yeah. And I thought, Jesus, he has a chance. Five miles. He, he can do that. Um, so tell us when you did get the, the Douglas, Douglas Sinis. Um, and and the thoughts that went through your hair, your head, Joe, because I'm sure everybody that was thought watching at home would have said, Oh, he's got him. What, what's he gonna yeah. do? Is he gonna drop him and go on? And but of course, if anybody hasn't seen the video, the two of these came in together. And we can yeah. talk about that in a second. But tell us about your own just um feelings and 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 how you were feeling mentally, physically when you did catch Douglas and that podium position then. Well, I suppose it, it, it didn't happen all of a sudden. Uh, like that, geez, that section there on Hadrian's Wall is is arduous. Like it's it's steep up and downs, and uh, not a whole pile runnable. There's a lot of it is, but um, and it was at night. It was like the stars were stunning and everything. But it was still, I was getting a few sleep monsters, uh, not seeing anything, but yeah, just getting a bit dopey. And I was glad to see the dawn, and. Um, so I, so I, like, I didn't see any headlight all night. I was totally on my own up in the mountains. Um, and I, I didn't think he was anywhere around, nor did I care. Um, but coming, the sun came up 
uh, it's just about coming up. And I had to stop. I said, to, I better stop here because I have no water for the next couple of hours. So I um, made some water with the snow, um, took out my my jet boil or whatever it is, and uh, heated some snow and melted the ice in my bottles and topped up water. Um, and I, I was actually thinking about that today, that I wasted a lot of time there, yet I'd say within three quarters of an hour, I'd seen Dougie, so... Um, why didn't I see him in the, in the distance coming off the wall? I don't know. Maybe I was going blind or something. But I should have seen him then because he's wearing red and every place is white. So, but I didn't anyway. Um, so I carried on. And the one thing I recce that section before is a long forest section. I was like, oh, God, it's it's horrible. But for some strange reason, I actually didn't mind it. Um, I just tipped away at a, a kind of a shuffle run. Just nice, steady run. Um, any hill that came, I walked that. And uh, lo and behold, up up in front, I saw this, you know, in the, in the long straights, you'd see someone. I said, oh, that's someone from the, the other race, the 160-mile race, the back marker. I said, oh, that'll be, you know, that'll be a point to aim at. I'll catch him there soon. And, you know, maybe 20 minutes later, he said, he's getting no closer. Uh, it's hardly doggy, is it? Yeah, I mean, he couldn't be. He couldn't. He couldn't be back here, but but yet I wasn't catching him. He was looking back and stuff. I said, it must be someone good. So I'm not <laughs> catching them. And I, I said, look, I'll just tip away anyway. He was walking at the time. I tipped away, tipped away. And um, it's a quite long bit of a section, but I, I ran it all. Um, and then coming into Horny Steed, I think that's how you pronounce it, into Helen. I think it's kind of an unofficial stop. Um getting closer and closer and just at the door um, we met so he turned around I go oh Dougie and he go oh hey, hey. whatever he said in Yorkshire he's, I have no idea what he was saying most of the time he probably probably the same with me but um, our things and anyway Helen sat us both down opposite each other and uh, gave us soup and I was saying Dougie, is this going to be awkward now getting out of here? I better drink the soup quick and just leave him. Yeah. And I'm sure he was kind of thinking the same. Well, he was looking bad now in fairness. Uh, sorry, Dougie, if you're listening, but uh, I'm sure you you felt kind of worse than me. Um, that's right. I got I, I to get out of here. But, yeah, you know, Helen is so nice chatting away and everything. Do you want a cup of tea? Right. So I'll have a cup of tea as well. And uh, having the crack. And then she just says, out of the blue, sure. You'll carry on together now, the two of you. Um, right, sure. He seems sound enough. Okay. Um, so she put us up to it, really. Um, found out later she's a psychiatric nurse, so she must have copped something that I didn't. Okay. But anyway, I was happy enough to head away with him, and he not, he knew the next section, and um, yeah, it was grand. We you know, we took our ease. Um, probably a bit too easy because Claire caught up a bit, but. Uh, no big deal. I got to know him and um, yeah, the next section to Bellingham really flew, you know, when you yeah. yeah. talked to us. So, yeah. But like I was looking for an opportunity to drop him. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, you know, yeah. it's nice to be a gentleman out on the race yeah. course, no matter what but race it is. The, the thing was, it was still going to be third. Um, yeah. But it's how much of an asshole you want to be getting third. So, 
Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think, you know, we've seen it a couple of times. I remember um, here in the Trans Transgolan Canardia race two years ago, um, Pablo Villa and Pau Capel, uh, two of the best ultra trail runners in the world, they came yeah. across the finish line together. But similar to yourself and Dougie, um, that day, Pau Capel, he, he, it wasn't one of his best days. And Pau was so used to winning all the time. Yeah. And Pablo would have held Pau Capel in great esteem. And maybe a bit like yourself, he was being a good guy. He didn't want to show his idol up maybe that particular moment. And he just kind of came across the finish line alongside Pau. But I know from talking to Pablo that he was very strong that day and he could have pushed on if he wanted to. And it sounds like we're all due yeah. respect to Dougie. I, yeah, I well, he came, you, you he came could have pushed on. Year, so, yeah. 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 Exactly. I knew I, like he, I thought he was just having a bad patch. And if he got a bit of sleep, that he'd be fine. Um, yeah. and, and that was generally the case. Well, he needed two sleeps, but yeah, apart from that, uh, it was, yeah, there was, there was no point out. And, you know, it, it worked to my advantage in a way up in the Shiviots because, um, I had a bit of company and I had yeah. the added confidence that if, and when the sleep monsters hit me, which normally be the fortnight, um, that he'd be there to, you know, give me a belt across the head or something. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if anybody watches the video of the two years coming in together, it was a lovely moment. And you look so strong, Joe, you really did. Um, you yeah, look like you just yeah. went out for a normal Sunday long hike in the mountains, never mind nearly a four day odyssey and 268 odd miles. Um, you looked great. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped to do my hair, you know. <laughs> you look handsome, Joe. You look handsome. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but that is what what were the the moments and and the hours like after it? I'm sure. Well, did you have the energy to celebrate and to take it all in, or just or or does the body just shut down, Joe? No, after the, the the body was fine, but the mind, uh, like I couldn't believe it had happened. Uh, basically. Um, I think it went in, they sat us down and they take out the warm water and uh, they got it, yeah, they de ice your laces and try and get your feet or uh, shoes off and wash your feet and stuff. And yeah, we're having a cup of tea and having a bit of crack and uh, everything is fine. Then they, they went away and we were kind of left together and we're just kind of looking at each other. Both of us ended up over in the corner away, <laughs> just kind of trying to contemplate it all and trying to figure out what, what had just happened because it was a huge uh, thing and, and uh, a great result. So basically I couldn't believe it for a while. Now I obviously found out later I badly needed sleep, yeah. um, but it, I just couldn't comprehend it. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't take it all in. And the one time that it started to flood in was um, in the shower. It's the, they gave us a shower up in the room. And uh, I was like, geez, I'm a third in the spine. Like, would you ever believe that? I mean, uh, it's the stuff dreams are made of, except that, like, I, I never dreamt that that could happen. Um, I said, no, no hold on now. I'll just uh, just get it together and, and just go down and try and get a bit of sleep. And, you know, bar opens at 11. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah so, so, no, it, it was, no, it was late. It was the next day. So it was six o'clock the next morning. So I had six, seven hours sleep mm -hmm. and woke up at 6 a.m. And I got 
bright and bright and bushy and I go, holy feck, this, yeah, it is true. And it was only then as well that I checked the phone because I couldn't do it all day. My head was wet. I couldn't, mm, you know, yeah. Like I'd seen 189 WhatsApp messages. Like I can't, I can't deal with this. Wow. Just, yeah. I couldn't. Um, so basically myself and Dougie went into the bar and we had a couple of, a uh, couple of ales. Uh, I was just basically ask the barman, oh, what have you? Um, oh, this is Windy Guile. Yeah, we'll have two of them because it's named after a mountain. We're just after being up and that ran out then. So he named off some other thing that happened to be where we were as well. So yeah, we'll have that too. So basically we're going through all the drink that um, of the mountains we were going over. <laughs> uh, but no, not five or six or anything. It was, you know, it's yeah, like well, it's nice to hear, Joe, because I'm sure there's so many runners maybe of a slightly younger generation than us or, you know, that as soon as they cross the finish line, they're, they're on their phones, updating their no. Instagram, their social media, no. getting back to posts, comments, messages where, yeah, it just sounds so peaceful and refreshing and rewarding to just sit down yeah. and have a chat with your mate. That but you I, just I, couldn't, I couldn't I couldn't plug into society. Um, no, I, I couldn't. Yeah. I didn't want this was this was my little bubble and i wanted to be there and like all the other athletes coming in that day uh, it was fabulous to sit down with them uh, you know um margin gertz and probably spelled, pronouncing his name wrong and uh, um g brian uh, the other the irish guy that uh, won the north northern yeah. traverse whatever it is yeah. uh, the north spine um, just getting to know them and being in our own little bubble and yeah it's great put the phone away and uh, yeah so it was the next day everything dawned on me and that was great so yeah and um, for, for the listeners that are listening in with their notebooks and who are looking for advice on how to do well in the spine or any similar type of race um, <laughs> I think that the first thing is obviously the consistency in training over the 12 months before that particular race. Yes, yes. the outer consistency, yes, is more, is better than any um, high intensity or big blocks of bullshit or just pure and utter, like I, I've been consistent, I'd say, for, uh, when was UTMB, 21? Um, so probably, um, yeah, so just, at the start of COVID, mm. I had no big injuries or anything. I was just running and kind of the same mileage every week, about 80, 85K, and only went up to about 105, maximum 110K a week yeah. um, in the last, what, I suppose, December-ish. Okay, yeah, yeah. I don't do too much. You, know, so yeah. you don't have to do crazy um, mileage. Um, no, it sounds very manageable. And then in terms of, say, hit over the couple of days, Joe, is there any maybe particular um, jacket or shoes you want to mention that worked very well for you that you'd recommend to somebody if people are looking for, okay, what kit should I be looking out for over the next couple of months to, to get into my own wardrobe? Um, what, what worked well for you? Oh, top-wise, I think jackets and everything, that has to be Columbia. Um, yeah. I put on the... Columbia was that titanium one that just the normal one you get yeah. um, at the start and kept it on if it was too hot I opened the vents or opened the, the zip in front uh, it never got too cold I had just a base layer on underneath and a light very light fleece 
Um, and it was only the last night in the Sheviots that I changed into the, I don't know what it's called, it's the, the one with the Omni heat or something inside in it. It's okay. a little bit yeah. bigger one. Yeah. Um, I used that right last night. That was a, a lifesaver. But, uh, but in the rain and everything, the first day, sure, I mean, it was bone dry. Um, so I mean, there you go. Uh, I don't have any other jackets, so that's all I know. <laughs> Oh, I yeah. can't. It's not like I'm sponsored by them or anything. It's just what I have. And and uh, like Ian Keith said it, I don't know, in, in one of his blogs years ago. And then that's, I just got the Columbia jackets and I don't look back since. Um, yeah, a great jacket. And were you mm-hmm. still on the speed goats like last year, Joe? I did, yeah, for want of, well, I was going over comfort, like not grip or anything. Um, I, I went up uh, the reeks when the snow was around. I said, look, these are grand. I mean, they're fine in the snow. I mean, I wasn't like, can't go flat out, but I won't be flat out in the spine. Uh, they're grand in the bog. They're not great. Uh, they're fine. Um, but I said, comfort for the long run, for yeah, literally for uh, four days. Oh, God, you need a bit of, just, you need a bit of cushioning. And I knew they'd be grand. Um, like they wouldn't pain me too much or anything. And, and like, definitely, uh, I won't say there's not, better ones out there but they work for me and um you know i'm happy out of them yeah and, and the, the one that people always want to ask about in case there's a magic potion out there somewhere um, and <laughs> nutrition joe and um, was it still the, nutrition. Snickers, <laughs> the, the rice krispies and the stalin bread from little did that get you around the extra oh stop um, i was Sure, I went in before Christmas and got Stalin bread and I said, I'll oh, only get one. I'll go back later <laughs> for some reason and get the rest. No, sold out. Oh, geez. Like, that was lovely. So I had none of that. Um, I had a bowl of Rice Krispie stuff and I didn't eat any of them. Um, so I had, there was a lot of uh, oat bars and frozen double dickers and a couple of Twixes and and all that. And I was absolutely shit sick of them after day and a half. I get so hard to eat anything. And just so sick of them. They were, they were like, oh, they were just horrible. Yeah. Uh, so I'd have to work on that in fairness. But like I went into a couple of shops and I said, what do I like? And, you know, what I liked, what I thought I'd like uh, then. And even, you know, just making sure beforehand you'd, you'd uh, sneak a few. It's going oh, there nice now. Uh, yeah. No, not after day and a half, two days. You, you just want to definitely. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's a thing to work on or just maybe try and not eat at all. I don't know. Um, and I had I had um, porridge in Hut 2 just before the final descent. I heated up some the water that was left in my bottle. It was on the ice there anyway, but heated up that and uh, made some porridge. <laughs> Uh, the 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 mountain rescue guy made me some porridge out of it, and uh, so that's it. Like, I think that I just land into the checkpoints with too much food left over. So between that and all the ice I was carrying, uh, like I was definitely carrying too much weight. Um, but it is it. There's for me, there's no magic thing. Um, I will say that I probably got it wrong. Uh, but on the other hand. Uh, I never, my energy never dipped. And so I was obviously eating enough or else somewhat fat adapted. So I can't really yeah. say. And and then mentally so strong, Joe, as well. I mean, even, 
you know, listening to our conversation this evening compared to the one 12 months ago, it, it all just, you, you sail through it. And like, it, it, have you worked on the, the mental aspect at all? I mean, do you have any mantra that you're saying to yourself as you're going no. over these no. mountains? Are, are you thinking of Roy Keane or Sonia O'Sullivan <laughs> sporting icons or whatever? Or I am in my arse. Sure, I don't want to. Or, or you just have it. You just got it. Uh, no, uh, you know what it is? Someone someone said it i don't know who recently like it's gonna be far 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 harder to pull out than it ever will be to actually finish it so that was my only thing that when it like it wasn't all plain sailing it kind of you know you get oh god i have three days left what the, how am i gonna do this and i got you know i like can pull out it's just it's just not everyone's watching so um it's gonna be easier to just carry on and then you know, five minutes later, you've forgotten all about it anyway. So it's always a short thing. Um, and often I just try to blank. Uh, I don't know what I'd be thinking about. Nothing. But uh, what I will say, one one thing about that is um, I was staying with my sister before the race. And uh, yeah, just watching TV and they put on top of Pops was like something from the 80s. And uh, Wet, Wet, Wet was on. And Marty Pillow. Yeah. And feck me if he wasn't there for the whole four days in the background. Yeah, Love just, was all around, was it? <laughs> no, it was the, the angel eyes. Like, God, <laughs> and no matter what song I had on, you could hear him in the background. Go, oh, Jesus. Yeah. But at least yeah, it wasn't too bad a song. Like, But I was a bit embarrassed about it. So, yeah, it could have been something sure. better. Yeah, Metallica sure. or something. Um, but, um, well, yeah, well, just well, for well, four days, stuck in the background. Yeah. Um, what's going to keep you going now over the next 12 months? You've achieved podium. You've kept the Irish flag flying on the podium after Ian's couple of great results there. You've had your great result this year. Um, what's up next for you? What's going to keep you motivated to keep on training? In uh, I know the answer to that. Go on, tell me. Your entries open next Monday. We'll see what happens, what race to get into uh, for the spine next year. Very good. Okay. And uh, yeah. probably, sure. Well, I'll go out. I'll, 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 yeah, I'll go out Sunday night and I'll have a few pints and I'll see. So it'll be either the North or the Full. Okay. Very and, good. Um, so between that, I'm going on a holiday to Australia in May. And uh, while I'm there, I'll do um, what's it called uh, Ultra Trail Australia. So it's only oh, 100. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a few stones okay. out of that. Yeah. Well, well, listen, Joe, thanks a million for your time this evening. Uh, it's brilliant talking to you. It's it's great to hear somebody who just nailed it, who just had a great year's training. Oh, I'll, have to, I'll have to go a lot faster next year, but uh, there'll be half the stopping and half the cups of tea, but yeah. Yeah, well, it's great, isn't it, to have like something an area where you know you can improve on, even though you had such a good result. You know, oh, yeah. you, can, you can even do better. Time. Isn't that brilliant? That that's it's free, the, it's free time for next year. You don't even yeah, have to train exactly. anymore. It's just free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Joe. Congratulations, um, all the best for the next twelve months. Hopefully, you can keep that consistency there. Oh, and uh, yeah, listen, um, book me in for February twenty twenty four for another <laughs> chat. Right? We'll do. Yes, no problem. On. Okay. All the best, mate. Well done. Take care.
that's a wrap everybody what an inspiring guy joe is a brilliant role model for the ultra and trail running community in ireland and we're lucky to have a few fantastic runners aren't we we really are and looking forward to chatting to to many of them hopefully over the course of the year do drop me a line guys if you would like to hear from anybody in particular or any specific coaching topics for our coaching slots with Rene. Um, in the meantime have a great week's training everybody just a reminder to pop over to patreon to help support the trail running on podcast if you get a chance everybody get your running gear on let's go